0: can
1: you hear me all right um so the, we've, we've got what we need here now um i just can't i still can't for some reason um i don't have any options i can mute and unmute myself which i think kyle can't but yeah I now can't, i can i can't do anything else <laughs> that's that's all but we that's we've got what we need now that he's unmuted and everything Yep. All right. Yeah, I don't know either. All right. That's all good, thanks. All right. How are you? Really well, thanks, how are you? Good, I can tell
0: you a secret, I think that was all my fault. I've got uh, three screens up here. And the on the far screen over here, I didn't accept the that you were recording button. So it won't let me unmute or show myself until I accept that. So yeah, no, don't, okay. don't no. tell anyone. It was all no. me. I'm very sorry. I was like, what's going on? And then I looked over the screen and I thought it automatically accepted.
1: All right. That's problem solved either way. We've, um,
0: we've made it. Yeah. Uh,
1: all right. Um, so I'll record this. We should go. It depends the way that we do interviews at tune it can run for some people are very succinct to get all their points across and we're done in five or 10 minutes uh like talking a a bit longer than that so it's kind Mm. of in your hands how long it goes for i'm just here to provide you the the platform yeah that's fine book so um Once I'm sure that I've got everything right on this end, then I'll hit record and we'll just get started. Perfect. Um, Yep. Okay. Uh, I'll just move that over there so I've got that.
0: Okay. Uh, Yeah. Okay. It's obviously just audio only.
1: Uh, Yeah, it'll be audio only. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Tune's recording. So I'm going to assume that that's going to work. Um, actually, I might just send a message to Tony and see if I can get her to check that that recording is going to go. No, she'll have it. I'll message her afterwards. All right. <clears throat> okay i'll just uh take a quick pause so that we've got somewhere to edit and then i'll introduce it like we're on the radio you're listening to 106.9 tune fm where we're joined by dr kyle mulrooney who is going to talk to us about some research being done here at une in fact a uh farm crime survey uh talking about rural criminology which is a little bit of an area that doesn't that might not ring bells for some people in different areas so uh, thanks for joining us. And can you give us a little bit of a background into what this research is all about?
0: Sure, well, thanks for having me, I really appreciate it. Um, rural criminology, yeah, it might not ring too many bells for, for that many people uh, um, worldwide, but it's a big deal here in Armadale, and a big deal at UNE, very long history of rural criminological research uh, spending back to actually the 70s. Um, believe it or not, rural criminology is quite in vogue in criminology generally these days. It's quite an exciting field and growing. So one part of uh, many projects that we have going on at the Centre for Rural Criminology has been the New South Wales Farm Crime Survey 2020. And that was really um, an initiative to try to update uh, kind of our information around uh, farmer victimization, that is the types of uh, crimes and problems around crime that farmers are experiencing. As well as try to explore uh some of the developments that have happened in the specifically rural policing and rural criminology space
1: okay so what are some of the problems that we that farmers uh, frequently face uh particularly here in armadale and elsewhere in australia and the world sure well there's a survey sadly indicates extremely
0: high levels of victimization which we do know from past surveys so um unfortunately uh, that has has not seemed to improve uh, recently around 81% of farmers state that they have experienced uh, some sort of uh, farm crime in their life. Um, I think the sadder story is actually told by the repeat victimization. So nearly 40% have experienced crime seven or more times and 88% two or more times. So quite significant amounts there. I guess the good news story uh, to come out of this is, as I said, we're able to measure some interventions, policing interventions specifically, Uh, And in 2018, the uh, New South Wales Police Force um, established the Rural Crime Prevention Team. And so we had the opportunity to ask farmers about their awareness, their interactions uh, with this team. And we get some positive results around this. Uh, Specifically, we find that farmers that interact with this team are more satisfied with the police in general. Uh, Now, to contextualize this, there is a kind of a historical lack of satisfaction in the police and criminal justice system amongst farmers for a lot of reasons. Uh, particularly because there's often differing expectations on what can be done about rural crime. For example, uh, stock goes missing. You know, The farmer might check on it two uh, weeks, two months, two years later. Uh, very difficult from a policing standpoint to try to address that over time. Um, That has kind of led to a somewhat of a, I guess, lack of a better word, soured relationship there Um, um, with a number of other issues also influencing that. And so it's really, really great news that we see that this kind of team with a higher level of cultural knowledge, uh, maybe cultural awareness, a better understanding of how to actually manage and deal with these types of crimes has led to that increase in satisfaction. That that, that satisfaction is so important and integral to combating rural crime. Now part two of that is we also see that those that interact with this team are more likely to report crime. Now again, to contextualize, we have a great deal of historical data that shows that farmers tend not to report their victimization. And this is a problem for a number of reasons, uh, not least because those uh, in positions of power uh, and policymaking and resource allocation are unaware of the true extent of rural crime. And then, of course, the police are unable to do anything about it if they don't know about it. and so these two areas of improvement are absolutely fantastic kind of outcomes for the survey.
1: Absolutely. So you mentioned that you'd uh, had an opportunity to speak to farmers. What exactly was the extent of this survey? How long did it take? How many people did you speak to and, uh, and, and how did it come about?
0: Sure. We got uh, just over 600 responses. Um, it was very interesting, actually. Uh, traditionally, we reached this demographic through hard copy surveys. It seemed to be the best from uh, farm crime surveys done elsewhere. Of course, COVID had other plans for us. Um, this launched at the beginning of 2020 when COVID was kind of just ticking off. Here we are a year and a half later <laughs> looking <laughs> to be in the same boat. That's another conversation. Um, and so we really had to pivot to an online survey which we knew from past practice was going to be really difficult to get the word out so we were so lucky that the center uh, had very well established connections both community and industry based, in this area and so um, local land services farmers association dpi the police were also integral in getting this word out to farmers and so we did get an overwhelming response from farmers the other gamble we took, which is a big no-no in the, the world of surveying is a very, very long survey. Uh, people tend to uh, lose interest. I've taken many surveys before that have gone on too long and just hit that escape button. Um, and we asked 88 questions. We, we put all our eggs in the basket that farmers want to be heard, that farmers have a lot to say. And we didn't want to sell that short. We wanted to ensure that we covered that entire uh, kind of gambit of issues and and, um, also offer them an opportunity to put forward some of their solutions and some of the things that they are doing. Uh, So we covered things all the way from their victimization, repeat victimization, like I discussed, around their perceptions of police and criminal justice. We focus specifically in on this rural crime prevention team, their awareness interactions. And we also looked at the actual crime prevention efforts and initiatives that farmers themselves uptake, as well as what they'd like to see done about uh, farm crime.
1: So what is the hope now that you, you've you got these statistics and obviously you've mentioned that there's been surveys done in the past. So you've, you've got a comparison and an idea of what's uh, increasing and what's decreasing, and what's staying the same. What is the hope uh, now that you, you know what's going on, what can be done?
0: Sure, quite simply that the information is used to move the needle to actually address a lot of these issues. Um, you know, farmers are victimized at extreme rates. And, um, you know, oftentimes, um, particularly when you're dealing in the field of criminology, you know, these types of issues can be scoffed at as minor um, or, you know, not, not particularly serious when you contextualize it against counterterrorism or murder or something like that. But I think that really um, uh, is an unfair comparison and overlooks a lot of the uh, plight and experienced uh, sorry plight and issues experienced by by farmers altogether. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of farmers in person as well, uh, anecdotally. And one thing that came out of the survey was the extremely high levels of worry. So people tend to pay attention to victimisation. Of course, we want to stop crime and prevent it altogether. Of course, solving crime is very important but those high levels of worry are also worrisome uh, from an individual perspective. Uh, and speaking with farmers, you know, they are constantly thinking about crime and, and issues and, and, and becoming a victim. And I think that's something that tends to get overlooked, that individual level of suffering. Um, you know, talking to one farmer who um, you know, had someone poking around their shed one night, and then for the next three weeks, kind of woke up every morning at three in the morning, you know, just to check. And, you know, just the way they explained it, that they were really ruminating over this issue. Like, why is that person there? You know, Do they just want something? You know, is there a bigger thing going on here? You know, they had kids in the house. So just, I guess, hearing it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, of of how that makes them feel. And I think a lot of us, particularly in urban environments or even in regional centers, where an immediate police response is expected. You know, if you're in trouble, you can, you can you feel safe and some comfort in that I can call the police, they're going to show up, you know, and I'll be okay, or at least they'll help me. Farmers don't often have that luxury. And so that, that level of anxiety of some stranger simply trespassing on your property is that much more heightened in the, in the rural environment. So I think um, uh, those are serious concerns that we, we, we have to pay attention to that we hadn't traditionally, you know, we tend to focus on the crime, which again is important, but there are other layers and elements and, You kind of add that to the other stressors and strains that farmers are experiencing. Bushfires, floods, droughts, nice plagues. You know, the last thing they need is is crime and to worry about crime. So I really hope that this is used. The good news is that it already has been used. We saw Crime Stoppers work with us and the New South Wales Police Force to launch the Draw the Line on Regional Crime Campaign. The center has its role to play. Um, We're very adamant that this is a public facing project. That is, we want that information to get out there. We want to do uh radio shows like this we want to uh, we were on nbn news last night we just want to get this information out so that it's put into the right hands for people who can make these uh, decisions to actually affect some change but the center has a role to play as well um we've embarked on a myriad of research projects um specifically uh, uh grounded in the findings of this research study um so we have a variety of, of, of projects ongoing at the center right now but One's particular to this study, for instance, is looking at uh, ag technology and specifically the capacity of smart animal ear tags to reduce stock theft. Um, Other areas, we're doing some cross-comparative research with colleagues in the United Kingdom and France on rural policing and kind of best practices in rural policing, uh, workforce characteristics and these types of things to help inform uh, our capacity to police the rural here in Australia. so I guess to summarize that, that, that uh, in short is that we just hope this is used to, to uh, give the farmers the help they need in terms of crime and crime prevention. Um, and, and again, the centres uh, will play our part in that as well.
1: Is there a way for people to access the, the outcomes of the report if they're interested in finding out a little bit more about this?
0: Yes. Um, the report is available as an e-report online. Um, probably the best quickest way to get that is New South Wales Farm Crime Survey 2020 in Google. Um, and there's also an associated video. Um, the easiest kind of central repository for all this would be the Center for Rural Criminology's website at UNE. Um, again, quickest way to get there because it's very long. Uh, um, WW links is just Googling uh, Center for Rural Criminology UNE. There you'll find links to the survey. We have accompanying infographics. So what that really is, is, um, taking that very long, uh, heavy report and uh, compartmentalizing it into kind of the key findings and about three pages or so with infographics there. And we've also produced a video. Uh, it's about five minutes long that kind of um, discusses some of these major key findings, all of which can be found on the center's website.
1: Just on a personal note, I'm interested to know what was it that brought you to rural criminology? Um, it's it's such an interesting topic. And as you've mentioned, a topic that's kind of flown under the radar a little bit that some people think there's things that are far more serious or far more um, mm. need far more attention. What was it that brought you to this issue as a researcher?
0: Oh, I think it was a kind of happy accident, really. It's something that I'd always be interested in. I grew up in what I call a urban environment. That is a traditionally rural environment with the expansion of Toronto, particularly uh, in Ontario, Canada. Uh, you saw that uh, growing up. I actually saw it just change before my eyes. And you can kind of see some of the conflicts that came with that and the interesting elements around uh, uh, farm crime as well. So I've always kind of had that that personal interest in changing environments, how space um, impacts upon crime and criminality, uh, how geography, how cultural geography, local characteristics, and these types of things can very much shape incidences of crime, but also our capacity to respond to it. And the other arm of that was just coming to UNE. Um, again, it has a very, very long, uh, um, I'd say, the pioneering history in rural criminology. It is the epicenter of rural criminology, and there was an opportunity to kind of revive that um, and, and to uh, through the center for rural criminology. Kind of restake our claim as the the global and world leader uh, we are the only center for rural criminology in the world um, and 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 through that kind of history and and future planning we can kind of uh, remain that way as i said uh, rural criminology as a subfield of criminology is growing absolutely rapidly the the sheer amount of interest in terms of kind of research and books and edited collections and these types of things has been uh, astronomical and so uh, UNE has the opportunity and and is the leader uh, in that area uh, now and into the future.
1: All right one last question for you, Uh, for those 81 percent of uh, farmers who have experienced uh, some form of crime or been a victim of some form of crime, what do you recommend that they do? They're now hearing that they're not alone, how did they mm. deal with it going forward? Yeah, I think awareness that, that
0: there is there is support and help there. Uh, one thing that's kind of happy and sad at the same time is 80% of farmers indicate that they feel personal responsibility for farm crime prevention. Uh, and I guess the, the, they, they may well be used to going it alone. Uh, and I think the rural crime prevention team campaigns from, um, crime Stoppers and the, these likes indicate that they, they don't have to go it alone and that there is support there, especially through this rural crime prevention team undertaking proactive enforcement strategies, all the way through to kind of community interaction and engagement. Uh, so, for instance, I know they've held some farm crime workshops direct with farmers about how to reduce crime. The other part, and this is what we actually recommend at, at the end of the report there, one is, in, is investing in this rural crime prevention team, investing in policing efforts, but the other is to invest in farmers. You know, Another thing they say is they, they do undertake a lot of crime prevention initiatives, but they also indicate that there are a lot of barriers to that, particularly around what works, how to implement, um, and as well as costs. And so we have to support our farmers in terms of uh, not only knowledge and education, uh, but financially to be able to uptake these types of initiatives, which can be particularly expensive depending on what you're managing. Um, and then the final uh, um, kind of recommendation out of the survey is just broader community awareness. I think that kind of people need to be aware of, of, of farm crime, the issues around farm crime. Again, those Crime Stoppers campaigns help with that, those generalized efforts. Uh, So we really would like to see more of those um, at the national level uh, as well as focused on specific high risk uh, or, or um, uh, high active crimes, such as stock theft, uh, risks around biosecurity and trespass and these types of things. So I guess in short is that um, I think what's come out of a lot of the research is that farmers have for a long time, really felt that they, that they're, they're not particularly understood. Um, So we always have the joke, you know, where, where a cop kind of rocks up and, you know, the, the farmers tell them about he's missing you know a bunch of rams and the cop thinks that it's an American pickup truck. And there's just that lack of cultural understanding. You know, the cop probably thinks, who cares? You know, it's a couple of sheep or something like that. Not understanding that not only are they quite expensive, but that this is not just someone's property. It's actually their livelihood. It's their business. It's their identity. And so having um, police that understand that element Um, is so integral. And I think, uh, um, you know, just getting the word out that that farmers are seen, heard and understood, and that together uh, uh, we can work to reduce uh, rural crime and farm crime victimization. The police cannot go it alone in a rural environment by by simply the nature of vast wide open spaces. And so farmers and police and communities have to work together uh, to reduce and combat farm crime.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us uh it's been a pleasure to have you and uh congratulations on this research and good luck with your future endeavors
0: yeah thank you very much really appreciate it all right that's perfect. cool man thanks very much uh, really appreciate the coverage um yeah that's great
1: no i appreciate you i appreciate you uh joining us it's a, a little bit lonely here at the moment with the current bad. i
0: was actually are you actually on campus that you must feel like a unicorn eh? <laughs> yeah. one of the select few
1: <laughs> unfortunately it's uh it's it's not exactly a good thing it's just empty there's there's no one here it's a little bit eerie so um
0: yeah i was wondering what that would be like yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: my my kids at yarm oh, you know, i drive up uh a couple of times a week and it is it is eerie there's nobody there and a couple of people kicking around yarn so
1: yeah it's, it's good to have a, an interview or two to do just to hear another person's voice I bet
0: yeah yeah <laughs> uh, you know, I was talking to a colleague who lives alone and a big social network but can't obviously have that social network right now and so it's just she's saying I'm going crazy over here so uh, we're trapped in a house with a six-month-old so I told her to try oh. to empathize <laughs> yeah oh no <laughs> yeah, uh, lucky is pretty good, but uh, it, it's been an experience, that's for sure.
1: Um, so, when will this air? Um, that will depend on how quickly I can get it uh, edited, but in the next couple couple of days. Okay, cool. Can you well, just let me know? I'd be keen to share it on socials and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll um <laughs> once the audio um cut up, we'll put it on as soon as we've got a, a slot for it on the radio, and it'll also cool. go up on our um, a blog as a podcast. So I'll send you the link to that. Oh, that's great. And do you guys have uh, socials like Twitter and things like that? Yeah, we have. We mainly use Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Um, All right. I'll follow on Instagram and stuff like that. Yep.
0: All right. Perfect. All right, mate. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jacob. Good talking to you and take care of yourself. You too. See you. Bye.